0: Matthew twenty-five, of course, is part of the Olivet Discourse. Christ is still answering the question of his uh, of the, what the disciples asked him in the first part of twenty-four. What he has just said, if you will recall, is he gave the sign of the Son of Man, and up to this point, Christ has revealed. His powerful and glorious return. Uh, everything darkened so that the only thing that the people can see, of course, is Christ, and that would be all over the world. Uh, the um, the last what chapter? Uh, chapter twenty four. Um, he was talking about the. Um, faithful servants and again all the way through Matthew 24 and 25 he's teaching his disciples in parables right Mm -hmm. so let's start then with uh, verse 1 then the kingdom of heaven may be compared to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom now five of them were foolish and five were prudent for when the foolish took their lamps they took no oil with them but the prudent took oil and flasks along with their lamps. Now, while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight, there was a shout. Behold, the bridegroom come out to meet him. Uh, this was a popular thing I've read in history books. This was a popular way for the bridegroom to retrieve his bride back in the days of Christ so therefore people would have understood well his his people would have understood what uh, what was happening this is this is this the, the betrothal of course comes after the engagement this is where and i mentioned this yesterday he had promised to come back and retrieve uh his bride i read in another place where there was a general understanding that the time limit would be about a year or less than a year, but really, it wasn't expected that it would take the bridegroom longer than a year uh, to prepare his place, and then his father, uh, his father, pass approval on what he had done, and then send him out to uh, retrieve his his bride. So this, I think, this is a fairly uh, familiar parable to all of us. Continuing in verse 7, Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, saying, No, there won't be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came. Those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast. Then the door was shut. And later the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered and said, Truly I say to you, I don't know you. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know the day nor the hour. The, uh, the story is very clear. Um, for the time that the bridegroom was away, before he would come back and get his bride they were expected to stay ready, all of them, wedding party, everybody. We don't have it in this passage of Scripture, but uh, the, uh, uh, the occasion here at this point is uh, a very happy occasion. Now, what made the difference between being accepted and being rejected, well, it was, of course, preparation, looking for uh, the return of the bridegroom, and uh, and so forth. So what happens here is of the inevitable uh, midnight cry, some were unprepared, therefore some were left out. But the worst part of it is they were unknown to the Lord, uh, who came who came to get them and he said i don't i don't know you uh so stay awake you do not know the day nor the hour now of course this has to do with uh israel looking for a messiah and the glorious second coming but in the same sense part of our faith is to believe what he has told us uh, that's all of our faith really um and a very large part of what he has taught us is that he's coming again for us. And we should eagerly anticipate uh, his, his coming. Now, so this is another warning that uh, Christ gives about that time that he teaches his disciples. Now, let's look at it from there. What do you do while you're waiting? Well, you work while you wait. Beginning in verse 14. For it's just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and handed over his possessions to them. And one he gave five talents to another two and to another one, each one according to his own ability, and went on a journey. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with him, gained five more. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled the, the accounts with them, The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you handed five talents over to me. See, I've gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you handed two talents over to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who also had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I didn't sow and gather where I didn't scatter. Therefore, you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance But from the one who does not have, uh, even what he does have shall be taken away and throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a, this is not the same, there are principles that are alike, but it's not to be. Confused with the uh, the parable of of the uh, pounds in Luke nineteen. This is a parable that bespeaks the tragedy of of wasted opportunity and the importance of having faith in Christ and working for Christ until Christ returns. This is a, a tremendous. Admonition, And as a matter of fact, the Bible is full of admonitions to take advantage of opportunities when they become available. Uh, of course, it goes all the way back even into Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, uh, the importance of gathering when you have the opportunity, uh, seizing the opportunity, uh, and so forth. Isaiah says the same thing. Seek the Lord while he is, while he can be found, call on him while he's near. Um, Christ then is addressing the the the, the tragedy of uh, wasted opportunity and this is the theme of his parable of the talents here now this is the second of two parables that of course relate to the kingdom of heaven this one in particular relates to the readiness of people for Jesus coming to establish his kingdom at his second coming Uh we just saw the parable of the virgins the first 13 verses that focuses on readiness. Um, but, but this one, this one focuses on seizing the opportunity and, uh, working for Christ until he comes. So there'll be a, there'll be a work for Christ. Now in the, in the tribulation, people work for Christ, even, even at the expense of their lives. Uh, which is a which is a, a a tremendous consideration that we have to think about when we look at the tribulation saints, israel and and all uh, during that time. You can't mock the coming of the Christ, and you can't be flippant about his promise to return again we're We're so far removed in our day. You know, from things like the pillar of fire and the the divided sea, the Red Sea, and and the healing power of Christ and the things that He He did, that uh, it, it may be that some just really doubt all of those things and and don't think of the importance of selling out completely to such powerful Christ. That's why going back up to the sign of the Son of Man in Matthew twenty four. Uh, We have such a powerful presentation, Christ presenting himself to all of those who are still alive at that time on planet earth. Now, although the parable of the talents has relevance really to every generation, the Lord here is still speaking directly about that generation that'll be living just before his return in glory. The exact time will not be known in advance to those people, But it is an imminent thing for them, just like the rapture and our resurrection at the time of the rapture uh, are imminent for us as well. In this case, the imminence is such that it is manifested leading up to that. Remember the birth pangs leading up to that? The imminence of this is marked by the spectacular and um, unmistakable signs of the very near powerful glorious return of Christ. So the parable of the talents gives us these elements. The element first of all of spiritual opportunity. Then then the responsibility that we have that we receive from being who we are. And then our reaction to the responsibility and the opportunity that is presented and the truth that People face a reckoning if they fail in this, and then of course the reward that is gained. You will note here that it just says you'll you'll be you'll be rewarded with many in many ways with many things. The reward in the parable of the talents in Luke uh, in, in Luke's gospel were specific. You know, you were you were faithful in ten things. I'll make you. A ruler over 10 cities and so forth but this is different and it's 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 not our purpose here to compare the two because they are two different things uh with two separate meanings and our focus here is uh is on the fact that the imminence of the of the glorious return of christ is in such sharp focus defined in such a small period of time relative to the history of mankind that that this brings this brings a tremendous and powerful teaching to the people in that day you and i are studying things that are going to be the primary principles of study of people in that tribulation time they're going to go right back to the teachings of jesus And they're going to follow his instructions and they're going to know. So when you think about those who are very foolish, the fact that they have an opportunity is true to them in the sense that these horrific things that are mentioned both here and in the revelation, for example, are, are actual events that they see unfold. We can surmise, we can make educated guesses Based on what we know today, uh, technically, uh, uh, politically, or whatever. If I'm preaching through the revelation and I'm on those five seals and the five trumpets and the five bowls of wrath and all of that entails that seven years of tribulation. I will preach with the most educated guess that I have as to what it means. It could mean this, I would say. Knowing what, and then I could probably draw an illustration from something that is occurring presently that could lead us to think that this is going to be perhaps something like that. But it is so much worse. It's hard, it's very difficult for us to really make the comparison. But those people will be in the middle of it. And so the fact that these Christ Himself said, "There won't. There has never been in a time in history like what the troubles will be in this time, and people will know that, and they will be expected based on all of this to be prepared for what He's about to do." So it's a very foolish, even stupid, moronic person who doesn't take these warnings of Christ. Those who are living in that uh, in that time frame in the the tribulation. So here, uh, with this uh, parable of the talents, not only do we see the reaction that people will have in that time, but the fact that they will face a, a reckoning. And Christ's, Christ's uh, language to the one who didn't gain anything is very, very, Strong, and not only that, but he he orders that he be taken away and cast into into outer darkness. Uh, so anyway, I think the I think the uh, parable here fairly well speaks for itself. Now we come to verse thirty-one. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, now take note of that: all of the angels. I have no idea. How, uh, only God can count the angels. I don't know how many there are. I do know they have various responsibilities, even even in outer space. We, we see that in the Revelation. You know, there's an angel responsible for turning up the sun or turning it down, and an angel that does this and does that. So they're probably scattered all over the universe as far as I, I could tell. And they are certainly concentrated in serving the needs of the saints uh, in in this present age. Uh, they serve as messengers they of course serve as those who ascribe praise uh, to the to God to the lord so i don 't know it's we 're not really told everything that they do. We are told about certain separations within the ranks of angels that some are are uh, uh, cherubim and some are seraphim. One is a mar- an archangel. There's only one archangel mentioned in the Bible. Uh, Roman Catholics teach that there are others and they have the same names just about as the uh, teenage mutant ninja turtles. <laughs> Raphael and all that. Uh, but those, those names are not in the Bible, right? And so I, I would just say there's one archangel. Because his name is Bekel. His name is who is like God. So he's very powerful, very powerful angel. So they have various ranks. They have various jobs and and distinctions. But they all come with him and he will sit on his glorious throne. Verse 32. All the nations will be gathered before him, before him and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Okay, here's the picture. Gloriously Christ has returned. I mean, this <laughs> the scene is indescribable. We cannot even imagine the scene. And a numbered host of elect angels, unfallen angels in their glory, and they have a particular glory, I suppose. But the glory of all glories is the glory of the Christ who outshines everything. And now he's seated on a glorious throne. At this point, now if you look at the revelation, we we are here at the end of everything. Remember, we saw where he cut it short. He said, but for the sake of the elect, there's nothing else. No more days. This is it. Having cut off now the previous previous era of human history there's no activity on earth there's nothing all the attention is on Christ even then even though there's been the gospel preached in midheaven even then he keeps telling that these things we've studied it but for the sake of the elect but for the sake of the elect Even then, you have reprobate people who are not part of the elect. Even then. And this is the judgment of nations. Okay? There are nations that will exist, of course, in the world at the time of the... It is the culmination of the times of nations, the times of the Gentiles, in in man-centered efforts to rule the world and it all collapses under antichrist. It all comes together and then it collapses under the antichrist. And this is when Christ comes. And after all of these other things are done on his glorious throne, Christ, his angels will go all over the world And uh, the elect will be gathered, and then the others are brought before him as well. All the nations gathered before him. Then what does Christ do? He calls for an immediate separation. He He separates as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left. This is the judgment of nations. So you have tribulation saints, and they will probably, most of them, this is my guess, come from the nation of Israel. But they come from other places, other nations as well. And all of the nations are judged. Okay, so the concept of nations in the previous, in the previous story of humankind comes to an end here. In the millennial kingdom, there are nations... In the new heaven and new earth, there are nations. But only, only with regard to the centerpiece of, of all nations, which are, which are the people of God, Israel. We'll talk about that some other time. Okay, so here, the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom which has been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now remember, these people have come out from the nations. They have been gathered to the presence of Christ on his glorious throne. Everything has stopped on on earth. There's nothing else except this now, right now, the next thing, judgment of nations. So on his right are his sheep, these are the elect. They're still in their mortal bodies. Keep that in mind. This is not a resurrection. This is a gathering of living people from the nations at that time. All right. So he says to those who are on his right, the elect, he says, come, you who are blessed of my father. You get that? The active one in their spiritual lives is the father of of the son. And he has blessed them come you who are blessed of my father inherit the kingdom which has been prepared for you from before the foundation of the world now it's also it also in another part of the bible it alludes to the the the, the lamb's book of life which was written before the before the foundation of the world now The end result of those people whom the Father gave to the Son, it was already determined they're going to have an eternal kingdom. This is going to last forever. They're going to have the best life creation could imagine. And so Christ here comes to make this separation. You, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat, I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord. Now, this is a surprise to them. Okay. When did we see you hungry and fed you or thirsty and gave you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will say to them, truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even to the least of them, you did it to me. A crude illustration, I suppose, and it it really doesn't compare, but I'm going to say it anyway would be how devout Christians would hide Jews from the Nazis in World War II, knowing that if it was ever discovered, they would die. I'm not saying that that was like this in the sense that just because they were Jews, they were automatically saved. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is, though, the same principle... But but in a stronger sense, you know, I got to tell you, law enforcement, military, they have, if they have the, the right kind of, especially big cities, if they have the right kind of budget, they have instruments. They have resources uh, that they can use to tell you how many people are in a house, even without opening the door. They can know what room they're in. Militaries can spot people I've I've, heard on a military channel on YouTube. This has been some time back. Satellites uh, can identify a bunny rabbit uh, from outer space. So how much more difficult is it to hide people in such a time when the Antichrist has all of these resources uh, at his disposal? So this was a tremendous act of faith and it was was an act of obedience in faith to the Messiah against the Antichrist and against the times of the Gentiles. That's what it was. And so what happens? You have people who still have some degree of freedom or whatever with the ability to hide other people. Or they... Discover that something. Think about this now. If you are a believer in the tribulation, you won't take the mark of the beast. That means that you can't buy food, you can't buy gasoline, you can't pay an electrical bill, you can't even own a house, you can't do anything. Uh, You can't get medicine for your sick child. It's it's a horrible thought. These people are somehow able to access certain things. Not that they took the mark of the beast, of course, but that at least somehow the Lord allowed them to have access to certain services and so forth. That they could help those who had come to a position in life where they could not help themselves and they took care of them. And probably others took care of them. It's just kind of a thing that the Lord uh, provides for them in in a divine way in that time. It would take tremendous faith in the coming Messiah, in the tribulation, to do any one of these things that are mentioned. Those, especially the Jews, running from the Antichrist and his forces, knowing that if anybody houses them, the whole bunch is going to be butchered. But they still took care of them. So Christ says to those in the tribulation, you took care of the least of my brothers. And when you did that, you did it to me. So the truth, the truth of this teaching is, and I know it and it's, and it's not, it's not wrong to build ministries on these things, but literally These kinds of actions, these behaviors, these ministries, if you will, specifically designate what believers do for other believers uh, during the time of the tribulation. And now it's the gathering of the nations. It's the judgment of the nations. And you have these people who are the elect. And they're on the right. They are the sheep. And Christ makes the announcement. You are blessed of my father. Boy, what a... I'll be gone from then, but if I was there, what a, what a thrill in my heart to see the one on that throne look in my direction and say, you are blessed of my Father. Enter into the kingdom that's been prepared for you from forever. What Christ is saying is saying this, and, and this is just an embellishment, but it's really part of the scriptures. You can put it together. Christ is really saying my father and I came together and you were on our list and in the course of time you were born in the course of time you were called and you've been saved and in the course of time you worked out your salvation because that was built into your call uh, to be saved. But another thing that was determined for you is that you're going to have a kingdom in which you can live and have responsibility and a wonderful, glorious life. Not just any kind of life, but eternal life. And we're going to give you this eternal life in a new heaven and a new earth. And we're going to turn you loose. And let us see how you can glorify your creator and the one who has saved you from before forever. Well, that's a tremendous thought. That's what he's saying here. From before The foundation of the world. It's very powerful in its original text in verse 34 inherit the kingdom which has been prepared for you. That's very personal. That's not just a generic saying, a general talk. This is specific from the Christ of God to those who have always been his own. All right, now. This is the judgment of the nations. You did it to me, he said. Now going on, verse 45. Then he will answer them saying, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you uh, did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So what happens here? at this judgment this is this is this is one of a series of judgments the judgment of nations there's the judgment seat of Christ for for, for believers we're not judged for sins we are, but we are rewarded for for how what we've how we've been in life this judgment of the nations then uh, those who are alive here are the goats on the left and he said in other words, what he's saying is you didn't care about my own. There was nothing in your heart to pursue righteousness and you are about to go to hell. My guess is at that point, they would all just drop dead. They would Their souls at this moment would descend into Hades and there to be tormented until the thousand years are over. To be spewed out at the judgment seat of at the uh, great white throne at the end of the thousand years. And that would include any of the wicked who would have rebelled against Christ at the end of the millennium. Not much is said about that, but there is there is a writing about it in the Bible. And so they are then resurrected into a body that is outfitted to be a body that can suffer forever gnawing worm able to choke on sulfur smoke and and all the other stuff to weep and wail to feel fire and heat uh, and to not ever see outer darkness there'd be no sight everybody there's blind and they're, they're consigned to the lake of fire that's that's the consummation of eternal punishment. <laughs> Death and hell give up the dead that are in them. The word for hell is Hades. That's the, the abode of the wicked dead. And the only ones who will be left at that time will be the ones who will be spewed out to the resurrection of damnation, cast into the lake of fire. So this is what they have to look forward to for a thousand years. They're they're tormented in every way that you can think of. But the righteous go into eternal life. In hell, do you think they're aware of the other? Yeah. You do. Well, I think they're aware. You know, Christ gives a parable about how those who are down there can be arranged to receive those that they knew into their eternal habitations. Um, and in Isaiah, he talks about all of the. This is I, I didn't put it up here. I think it was in Isaiah. When we went through Isaiah, it's just a tremendous, it's not much. It's a little brief passage. All of the kings who have ever lived of nations, kings of nations, wicked. Now, there are a few of them that were righteous through the. Not, not talking about the sons of David, but we're talking about like Nebuchadnezzar. He got saved, I think, you know, very few of them. But for the vast majority, of these kings all, they all had people to worship them as gods. They saw themselves as gods back in the day. And there there is a scene in hell where these kings are sitting around to, to paraphrase. You know, they're saying, well, we just blew it. That's all we can say. You know, we, just, we thought too much for ourselves. It's, that's really a minor, mild embellishment of what was really said. Um, but they obviously know. They, they would know. If there was, a, the, and of course, when they're raised for the great white throne, the small and the great. So you'd have to know that there was a distinction there um, between the small and the great who were raised, uh, and they were cast in the and the books, the books that are opened, uh, books of obviously the record of the lives of all of those. The only thing they have to appeal to at the final tribunal is their works and it's their works that condemn them. So those works would be personal. Yeah. So the, yeah, there's a, you know, there's a, there's an identification there uh, just like there is in, in heaven. Um, did I answer your question? You did. Okay. Uh, build but, watch. huh? I said build yeah, watch. there I go. Yeah. Building the watch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the righteous into eternal life so that's the judgment, and this—that's—is uh, that the end of that chapter? Yeah. Yeah, I lit a fire under myself. <laughs> I, I challenged myself. So, <clears throat> 41. Right. forty-one. Forty-one. Verse mm-hmm. forty-one. Wait a minute. I did. Okay, hold on. Doggone! That's the seventh mistake I made this year. Mm-hmm. I think we're all eight. <laughs> Hold it. I see. Hey, Jake, the beer top. Oh, well, you, you 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 didn't read it word for word. Yeah. You said that they didn't. They didn't. At that point, I that I they didn't care. But saying. you didn't read it word for word. Yeah. Okay. I sort of skipped let's, let's look at it. He'll say to those on his left, "On his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels." Uh, that's a that comes from Isaiah, actually. It even says, hell hath enlarged herself. That's an interesting passage. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat, thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. Stranger, didn't invite me in naked, you didn't clothe me sick and in prison, you didn't visit me. Then they themselves also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you like that and did not take care of you? And he will answer them to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you didn't do it to me. Tremendous, of course, that's, that's just the juxtaposition, right, of what he says about those who are the sheep. But you'll notice here that he calls them accursed ones. It's a very strong, uh, very strong Greek, uh, Greek word. Um, and they go to the very place. You can't get any worse in your thinking than the devil and his angels. I mean, they are nasty and evil. They're unclean. They are just horrible and awful. Just think of what demons... You know, I don't know how far to go here on this to say, but I think I see people of particular lifestyles. They look different. They walk different. They dress different, and I think the difference is just the presence of a demon because of what, how they how they I live and your look. That you can't convince me that oh, I've had to put but them on the. I've had when I was a deputy, I had to put them on the sixth floor in the Baptist Hospital, and I had this lady. Well, I'll say a lady. <laughs> female. It it was a female, a very large female uh quite active uh and strong and we had to go to the mental health center there was an underground passageway that went right to a went right to an elevator that went straight up to the sixth floor which was a crazy floor and um, <laughs> you know what i'm talking about and so we got my my partner and i got this and you always hate those that's so a suspicion of lunacy because you don't know i mean i We took one guy once in his, he was sitting around in his, in his, in his skivvies and his mother called the police on him and he just looked awful. He was skinny and he just looked horrible. He smelled horrible. He was sitting there watching soap operas and he was about in his mid forties, I guess. And he was eating some kind of potato chips or something. I don't know what he was drinking. And we walked in there and he got real animated You're not taking me anywhere. I'm Melchizedek. That's what he called himself. I'm 900 years old. That's what he said. Uh, Well, he wasn't that old and he wasn't Melchizedek. But uh, this woman looked at me with a look in her eye. About like that girl on Exorcist. I don't know. Just a, a bad look. Yeah. And we were struggling with it and finally got her handcuffed to take her up. Oh, she was kicking and screaming and biting and everything she could do. And she, I don't know why she didn't look at the other guy. (laughs) We had her in that elevator and she wasn't going anywhere. She looked right at me and she got right up in my face and she went... (laughs) And I said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. <laughs> I did. I started quoting scripture on it. And the guy that was with me was a Christian. And he said, Oh, I'll preach on, brother. <laughs> We need all this we can get, man. <laughs> she kind of calmed down, honestly. Yeah. Uh, we got her to the sixth floor, and we gave her over to the orderlies. They were waiting there for us, and they said, y'all just bring her on back here. And the guys, we said, uh-uh. Our orders are to bring us to her to the sixth floor. Here we are. And there she is. See you later. It's supper time for us. <laughs> time to go to the donut shop. Uh, No, it was really something. And my point is, um, I've seen people, I might have even seen one today, they just, they're just. Possessed with something. Possessed with something. They have a demon, you know? Uh, They just, to me, have a demon. Uh, But anyway, I don't know what brought that up. Uh, because Jesus was thirsty is that it or is that, I don't know um, so anyway uh, the separation they drop dead and uh, then the the righteous go into but the interesting thing is they go into the kingdom in their mortal bodies they are the ones who inherit the millennial kingdom of course the millennial kingdom is delivered up to the father and then finally the eternal kingdom. But these people have will have responsibilities, they'll have positions of leadership, and no unsaved person enters into that kingdom. Only saved folks. Now, in reading more about it, you will see that nations develop, so they're not all Israel, probably mostly Israel, um, but uh they have responsibilities. And they're the ones who, in in their mortal bodies, uh, populate the world. And uh, then, of course, the earth. Mm-hmm. This is not part of the study here, but if you're saved, mortal body, like the bodies we have now, if you're only saved in the millennial reign, then who is it that rises up and fights against God at the end? It'll be some. Well, it'll be the children or grandchildren or great great grandchildren of these people. Okay, so when you say Here's, only, oh wait, wait a minute, you got to understand though, Satan is chained for the entire kingdom right. age. Man is they have old. no devils, demons, Satan. They have no access. So these people have a free ride for a thousand years. But well, how are they going to respond? You know, what about all that? And Satan is loosed for a little season. A war develops, and then obviously some of those people, there wouldn't be a war unless some people agreed to go to war yeah. against Jesus, right? So those people then, Isaiah even talks about people who will refuse to obey the Lord when nations are called to give their, to bring their honor and glory to the king of kings. Some, even then, without a tempter, Without temptation, some even then won't do it, and they're put to death right on the spot. So they're lost. They're uh, still fallen. Yeah, they still have a depraved yeah. Because uh, when you say, if you say the devil made me do it, that's not. They won't be able to say the devil. you're yeah. just. Well, you know, Christ said, sinful. Out of the out of the thoughts and imaginations of man come these evil things, right? Uh, and so you know, we he all the devil can do is set a trap for us. Uh, now he can bring to bear a lot of influence, I and mean, he can he can of course his demons can possess people, but not believers. But as far as believers are concerned that's why we have to walk circumspectly for the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Uh, we have to be very careful in our lives and grow in faith and, and, and all. Uh, but sometimes the trap is, is laid. And uh, that's why we walk around. Like Paul said, with this body of death hanging on us. Uh, anyway, they go into eternal life. The kingdom, Daniel talks about a space of what forty-five days, I think. So apparently, it takes about forty-five days for the total administration to get set up in the uh, in the millennial kingdom. Now, if you look at all of the details that we have, I'm sure there's, but the details that we have, it hits the hot spots and the high points in in the, the tribulation that are given in the Revelation. The topography of the earth changes, cities disappear. Fish die, <laughs> and uh, the water, the ecological the, the uh, system, the hydrological system changes, and uh, then from from his throne gushes forth this water, and when he sets in his glorious coming, when he sets his foot on Mount of Olives, it splits in two, and what it does is, and it says, and the two bodies of water come together. What happens is. When he splits the when he splits that mountain in two, then you remember the Dead Sea. anybody ever been to the Dead Sea? I've been there twice. Uh, It is one hundred and twenty feet below sea level. So when you're at the Dead Sea, well, I mean it's 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 like the pit of hell itself. It's just horrible. It's hot and dry and everything is salty. And you get out in the Did you go out in the Dead Sea? You can't, you float, you go kaboom, you're like a fish bob or something. You you can't go, nobody really wants to go under because it stings and all. Um, Nothing alive in the, you know. But when Christ touches down, remember it's 120 feet below sea level. Over here's the Mediterranean Sea. The Mediterranean Sea begins to flood and pour into that lower plain. And that's part of the hydrological system. Of uh, of the millennial kingdom, I'm I'm getting way off base here. Okay, <laughs> they go to eternal life. That's where he ends with the disciples. Okay, <laughs> all right. Uh, hey, I, we'll have tomorrow morning. Uh, I'll guarantee you that we'll be God willing. We'll be out by checkout time. If you ain't fifty dollars for fifteen, <laughs> <laughs> <out your> <laughs> <laughs> saved. There's a charger down here earlier. Lay on up. Yes, ma'am. Lay on up. Sit down here. Yes, yeah. what yeah, the battery went on. Verse twenty-four. Uh-huh. Well, what affects what affects us now is uh, are the conditions of the Abrahamic covenant that God made back in Genesis. Uh, but it's the same principle. It would have to be the same principle the apple of God's eye. Uh, I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. Um, right. And it's, I don't know how, I'm so sorry to say that one of the worst persecutors in history of Israel has been the so-called church in the time of Romanism. Uh, I'm, I'm, it shames me beyond the pale to think about how people could be Christians. You know, they they'd say something like, "Well, they're the people who crucified our Lord," and all that. Well, thank God He went to the cross uh, and uh, and died for me. So it's all in the plan of God, but but people can be awfully narrow minded. Even today, one of the most prosperous nations in the world is Israel. Today, they are producing medical supplies and and pharmaceuticals and they're they have this natural gas and they've discovered all this oil and all I mean they could be a leader in the world of of all that kind of thing and they are willing to help they create they invented a machine that makes water it, it gathers condensation. It's a it's a tremendous invention. Just stick it out in your yard, I guess, and water starts pumping. You know, I mean, it takes time to con- for condensation. But Israel, in the time of Netanyahu, this has been some three or four years ago, he was on there. He, the people who hate Israel, he said they don't have a lot of water. We will give them these machines. We want them to have water. We want the Israel. You know they're like that. They, they, we want these people to prosper. We don't want to be mad at us. We want to help them in any way that we can. Um, if you read the Bible carefully, Israel was just never a um, an aggressively conquering nation. Only to the extent of taking the land that was theirs and nothing else. They don't they don't go after people, you know? Only in self-defense or to take the land that's part of the covenant that God gave to them. That's all. You know, they're not like Russia for example I uh, from what i read they've invaded Ukraine. I've learned not to really believe anything but apparently <laughs> the, apparently they've invaded Ukraine and i don't say that lightly because i have ukrainian friends and I, I i know they have loved ones that are suffering i'm sure. But uh why are they doing that? I don't know. They just, they just wanted it or something, you know. And they're going to invade Israel someday. Israel has never been that way. They were they were never that kind of of people. Even in the time of their unbelief, during all these years of their of their unbelief, they've never been that uh, that kind of people, and um, we have an ob- The nations have an obligation of taking care of Israel. i, I probably told you this story, but I'm going to close with this story. This is my third closing, um, <laughs> and in closing, and in closing, <laughs> in closing. part two. Fact <laughs> check, uh, yeah, the fact check. Nixon, Richard Nixon was raised a religious man, boy. Uh, what was Quaker? I think. Uh, am I right? I think so. It was a Quaker. I believe you're right. And he was. He was. They were total Bible believers. I mean, they were strict about their Bible belief. He gave this, I read this in a book. You might could find it on the internet. I don't know. The guy, and it was one of the, oh, shoot. Okay, I can't think of who it was. You remember, of course, when it was in the early well early '70s, late '60s, early '70s, and we had to wait in line for gasoline, and they uh-huh. the, the gasoline gasoline went over a dollar a gallon. And <laughs> I thought I was gonna die. Uh, yeah, and four hundred million Arabs had surrounded Israel. Uh, this was not the Six Day War. This was what a three day war or something. And they appealed, I think it was that woman, was it that woman, Golda Golda Meir, who appealed to Nixon. And she said to him, if you don't help us, Israel will not exist in a week. And he told his staff, he said, when I was a boy, my mother told me someday you may be in a position to help a Jew. Don't ever, ever miss that opportunity. And he said to his men, he said, now I know all the troubles that went with Nixon, but he said to his people, I just now am understanding why I'm the president of the United States today. <laughs> and he sent all of this massive aid, and the rest is history. They they had the jets they needed, the tanks they needed, the bullets they needed, whatever. And that little group of, of Israelis withstood the onslaught of those millions and millions of Arabs uh, and were delivered and continued um, as a nation so you know uh, he, he he believed what the scripture said and of course God used him in the position of where he, had, where he was okay that's my final cl- <laughs> I'll, 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 we'll have a summary of everything in the morning Be, it won't last long and we can do whatever it is we do